Attention, culture consumers. Join me, the queen of queries, Sarah O'Connor, and my band of nerdy knights. Colleen McMillan. Flo Siegel. And Anders Drew. On Bohemian Geek Studies, where we take extremely dorky dives into our favorite fandoms, especially that Star Wars galaxy far, far away. Listen each week as we examine the stories that mean so much to us. Bohemian Geek Studies is available wherever you get your podcasts and is proudly part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hello there, I'm Colleen. I'm Anders. And I'm Daniel. We're three nerds that met through our love of science fiction and fantasy storytelling. Of course, one of our favorites is George Lucas's signature achievement, Star Wars. And if there's one thing the internet definitely doesn't have enough of, it's nerds talking about Star Wars. So here we are with yet another Star Wars podcast, where each week we discuss one of the films in the current Star Wars canon. From the sands of Tatooine to the levels of Coruscant, we cover it all. Yet another Star Wars podcast is available wherever you get your podcast and is part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Hi, I'm Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I'm Andrew Tejada, codename Arate. I'm a Blurred with a love for artwork and comics and animation. And I'm a writer and Blurred with a love for pretty much the same things. We grew up together and spent most of our formative years watching and talking about DC superhero shows and content. In fact, we still do. Every episode, we will discuss a DC production, compare it to its original source material, and share our thoughts on the adaptation. We've enjoyed our conversations these past couple of decades, and we think you will too. This season, we'll put a shot to our system by covering Static Shock, the animated series on... Yet another DC animated podcast. Welcome to yet another episode of yet another DC animated podcast. My name is Shamar Griffith, codename Comic Shams. And I am Andrew Tejada, codename Arte. Andrew and I have known each other since 1996. That is the year that former child star Tom Holland was born. He's now in a, <laughs> he's now in a teen, not, not a teen star. He's like a 20 no. star. He's a 20, 20 star. Yeah. But he, oh, gosh, he, he was a Holland. kid. Tom Holland was born in 96? <laughs> yes, 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 he was. He was born 1996, June 1st, in the United Kingdom, <laughs> according to my notes. <laughs> and okay. we we had to kill some people to get tickets for his movie. You know, we're DC people, but, you know, we had to see that new Spider-Man, too. So, uh, yeah, that's why he's yes, on the brain. Yes, we're very much hoping that we'll finally get to see and prove all of our theories and all of our rumors that the person who will be appearing in this movie will be the one and only Dominic Toretto. Yep. I'm telling you guys, go back, screenshot, and you can see the outline of a car is clearly supposed to be going in there. You know, (laughs) just go back and look at it. But we'll talk about our Spider-Man theories another time. Because it's time to dive into some child stars over on Static. Yes, today's episodes, we're going through episodes 12 and 13. The first episode being called Replay and then following up with Tantrum. Now, I just got to make a quick amendment really fast for what I said in our previous episode. So this is the importance of reading, people. Uh, These episodes actually did occur and did premiere during the initial season one run of Static. I have mistaken them for the season two episodes, which they held off of and put it towards season three. These did actually follow along with the original Static run. So Tantrum, even though it's like... it. I guess it serves more of it is the technical season finale, but I still I still feel that episode 11 serves as a better season finale. 
I think so. Yeah, it feels like it was one of those cases where the last few episodes could have been aired in any order. And mm-hmm. that the way they ended 13, it they made it seem final. But yeah, I do agree that 11 would have been the better finale. So now that we are here with episodes 12 and 13, we got our main cast is coming back. Also, um, shout out to Michelle Morgan, who's pulling a double duty in the episode Tantrum as she's voicing gene hawkins the mother of virgil hawkins in this special episode that we'll talk about in a bit and then we have our special guest here real child actor this is what's influencing today's 1996 fact as we have neil patrick harris showing us that (laughs) what would have happened if they actually canceled doogie hauser and he got meta powers (laughs) (laughs) terrifying world because he's here today in our episode replay playing johnny morrow aka replay Next, we have uh, someone who probably around the, is known around the world. In fact, you might say in all states, he is one of the four people with the most iconic voices ever. They sound like thunder rolling. As we have Dennis Habert is Police Chief Barnsdale, who's going to come pop up in a couple more episodes of Static, but this is his first introduction here. Next, we have Vernie Watson-Johnson, a.k.a. the woman who raised the Fresh Prince in The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Which one? Who's ne- <laughs> <laughs> the, the mom from West Philadelphia, where okay. uh, the Fresh Prince was born and raised. <laughs> gosh, gosh. <laughs> she's also playing another mom here, and she's Daisy's mom. I just thought this was cool that she's like, you know, like she's, it, it, feels, like, it feels like everything is connected. <laughs> yeah, it's all one universe. Finally, another actor from the White Castle Adventures here. We have John Cho um, before heading to White Castle and now playing Spike in Netflix's Cowboy Bebop. He wraps up the casting here as Tantrum, a.k.a. Thomas Kim. Yes, and much like the beloved Cowboy Bebop, I can't even say that with a straight face. (laughs) (laughs) He's good in this. He's good in this. I He's good say. in this. We'll leave it at that <laughs> so that we can jump into our episode to talk about how good he was in those episodes. <laughs> yes. So uh, twelve episode 12 replay, it starts with us getting a little bit of some background on this child star, Johnny. And he's giving us a little monologue about his start as a child star and his kind of decline after the network moved on from him. And right away, out of the gate, the citizens of, of Dakota have such great lines. And one of one of them here is Johnny's looking at things to buy. And the, the clerk is going after hearing Johnny's story. I'm putting that away because you have no money. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> I like to think because so... I had to pause it right here because if you look at the cashier, the jeweler, this man looks like it's the same character design as Alfred from Batman, the animated series, but with more, just with more melanin. That's not how I say it. As. So it was just like that dry wit went from Alfred to this new version of him here at the mall. And I, it's, it's, it's lovely. It's just it's such a great comment. Um, unfortunately, Virgil, Richie, and Daisy are unable to hear because they're all the way on the other side of the mall. Um, they're grabbing some food and just reminiscing about a place called Kid Circus, former, now abandoned, completely torn down version of their childhood hangout. And, you know, Andrew, this brought back some memories for me because it reminded me of like Fun Time USA oh. and that 
Empire Roller Rink. Yes. <laughs> Discovery Kids. Mm-hmm. Oh my god. Oh yes, these places that just were the best. You just as soon as he says these all these warm memories come back of, you know, mirrors and laser tag and yeah, they're they mentioned Kids Corner, which becomes very important soon. Mm-hmm. And as they're hanging out in the mall, it becomes clear that Johnny has either duplicates or clones, multiples, something's going on because they're running around the mall, breaking into everywhere. That guy shouldn't have said he had no money because now he's angry and going on a shopping rampage. And of course, <laughs> Virgil wants to step in, but Daisy's right there. How is he going to get out of this? Yes, we get the best excuse ever. I'm telling you, they've, they've gotten better. Because Richie looks over to him and is like, yo, food poisoning. So it's clear that they probably like talk this through. It's like top 10 best excuses that you can give now as you <laughs> go off to turn into static. And Virgil starts acting, really putting on his most hand performance ever of as if it's going to be coming out of both ends. So he runs over to the bathroom as Richie and Daisy make their own way away to make their getaway as static becomes static. We hear the iconic music, Super Saiyan power up in the bathroom. And then as he flies out, there's this one guy who's also in there. Doesn't see what happens, but it's enough for him to poke his head out to just be like, what is going on? It's like, does he always change in there? I I don't know. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, since Johnny is so jealous of static super saiyan transformation he decides to reference naruto and do some shadow clone jutsu and summons multiple copies of himself so they could jump static in the mall yo at one point they tried to bum rush him with a whole bench like where (laughs) does one find a bench where did it come from i would quit this would be the day i'm like you know what Maybe this isn't all it's cracked up to be. Maybe I need to retire. <laughs> yeah. And the worst, he told them, you should take a seat. And it's just like, come on. It's just, it hurt to, it just hurt. <laughs> yeah. So after all the bad puns and clones run out, they decide to take their fight to none other than the kid's corner. And it's a nice little, it's a great scene of animation too, because it's, there's a mirror funhouse. So, you know, it's a nice little pairing of, you got a mirror funhouse and you got all this indeterminate number of clones. And now static has to navigate how to figure out which one is the original. So he can stop getting jumped all the time. And he's quickly able to figure it out. Uh, this was a very helpful tip that I'm going to be taking with me moving forward. If I'm ever lost in a funhouse mirror, look at the ground because that way you're not looking at like whatever random hallways being reflected. You can find your way out. So that is today's static lesson. As he turns on the static powers and is able to knock out replay here. Unfortunately, this leads into our final kind of confrontation between the two of them in this space as replay's powers are fully activated and static starting to activate his powers more, causing the two to collide in this very big ball of lightning. And the whole place goes down. <laughs> yep. You you already were wondering. When are we going to get into Virgil's most shocking scene of destruction? It's here. He destroys the kid's corner. Credit where credit is due. It was supposed to be demolished. Mm -hmm. So I think we're seeing a little bit of growth and responsibility from him. But it was definitely destroying earlier than intended, taking away dozens of union jobs. So (laughs) he's not completely off the hook. 
So as Static is waking up to, to the amount of destruction he's caused, he sees someone that looks like him there and gets up and runs away. But at the same time, another set of the wall or some more just kind of like infrastructure just falls on him. He's able to get back up. He sees the reflection again and blasts the mirror, making a joke to himself, realizing that like, oh, crap, it's just a, it's just my reflection. But I guess from our perceptions of it, of this whole event, as we see it, we can tell that like, nah, this thing got up and moved away, you know, before you even thought of making your next move. So we're now under the impression that in some way, shape or form, Static now has his own clone or some kind of random duplicate of any way, shape or form. We should also mention that he should definitely have a concussion because an entire building Mm -hmm. fell on him. So at the very least, I don't know if speed healing is in his uh, repertoire, but if it isn't, (laughs) he should have a concussion. That is a very good question, which we will definitely have to get into uh, because, (laughs) you know, I don't think static electricity just like makes your body faster in any way, shape or form. Now our worst fears are confirmed because now we got a static that is Robin Banks. He's mm-hmm. gone renegade and is running around town causing trouble. And Richie even sees Static committing crimes and is like, yo, what the hell are you doing? And Static, <laughs> so savage, uh, takes Richie and throws him on the billboard. <laughs> <laughs> And I, it's another, oh God, it's another great line. They're like, how could he do this to me? And he turns to other people on the billboard and he goes, well, you had lots of practice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this was, again, just like you said, man, the, the commentary from the citizens of Dakota, they, they just, they're so good. So, you know, as now we're all watching that static has become a menace. I'm channeling again. I guess we kind of circle back now to our Spider-Man thing. That <laughs> menace. The, he's channeling our J. Jonah Jameson here because static is now um, being seen on TV because Virgil gets back home. He's completely messed up. It's like a bunch of dirt and whatnot on him. And his family, Robert and Sharon, are telling him that you know, there's a there have been several reports now featuring our famous TV reporter Shelly Sandoval of Channel Three News. Finally figured out the number. Uh, <laughs> she's reporting that Static has turned to crime. We see that he's you know stealing from banks. He's attacking the cops. He's just doing everything. But the only person that knows that it isn't Static doing all this stuff is Virgil because well he he's Static and he, he has he knows that he hasn't been out there doing this. So this leads to him heading over to Richie who again, is so scared of opening the door because he doesn't want to be pinned up against the billboard (laughs) once again. Who knows how long it took him to get down there? Yeah, I do like this interaction because, you know, you're expecting this to be a quick one too. Like, Virgil just goes, yo, it wasn't me. It's obviously my evil clone. And Richie is like, bro, I I don't know about that. And he really doubts Virgil. He was really hurt by this sudden betrayal. And in this moment, it also becomes clear if that is static turned evil the entire town would be bankrupt within like a day so mm-hmm. not to mention everything would be destroyed so he he really wants virgil to work for his trust and virgil's like please help me and at one point virgil has to go like if i really was evil you wouldn't have a choice would you and it's like damn man it, it really gets that deep of that that trust that was betrayed here and it was not only richie that whose trust was broken here 
Uh, we see that the citizens of the, of the Coda are now being affected by all this because as Virgil's back at home, depressed about everything, recognizing that he's lost a friend and lost pretty much the respect of his dad, who doesn't know again that he's static. He hears another report. This time is the chief of police, Chief Bransdale, who is having a press conference and has now said that the city of Dakota is establishing MetaHuman Task Force. This MetaHuman Task Force will use non-lethal tactics to bring in any bang baby metahuman that is terrorizing the city, which immediately, at once again, Shelly Sandoval's on the scene, who tells, who asks the most important question, what about Static? We've seen what he does in these last couple of days. And this leads to one of the most heartbreaking things I think we've seen in this season, where you just see the ultimate loss of trust with, of that the city has now, because Chief Bransdale admits then and right there that even Static will be subjected to this law. He must be brought in because his actions are destroying the city, destroying lives, and somebody can get hurt. Yeah, what I thought was uh, crazy about the scene is that this force, task force, didn't exist already. Like, right (laughs) at this point, y'all have been terrorized by metahumans for at least a few months, right? And you never thought of coming up with a lethal task, non-lethal task force until now. This this guy needs to get out of office. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's just weird because it's just like it feels like a metahuman task force is such a common concept in DC stuff. Like we see it with um here now with static. I know the flash has done it a lot. Black Lightning has also incorporated it into their own storytelling. And for the most part, no. All of them have been kind of put together rather quickly, from if I can recall. Yeah, usually it's just like, usually just because of the hero to oppose mm-hmm. the hero. Except Central City, that is so overrun with metahumans that <laughs> that needed to be done <laughs> right away. Right. But everybody else is just like, well, I think things have gone a little too far. So now we're going to have a metahuman task force that goes way too far right away, makes it clear that we're evil and you'll never hear from us again. Or if you do see us again, it'll be in rare different opportunity where we mellowed out all of a sudden. So all that to say is that's exactly what happens here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So static, he, while hearing this and just like heartbroken, the next thing that happens is that someone comes in to interrupt the press conference, alerts the chief that static is out there once again, robbing things and Shelly Sandoval is I is on the scene to tell us I don't know how she gets around to these places so quickly to be honest she might be a meta (laughs) that's true she has super reporting powers (laughs) so she tells us now that static is once again terrorizing the city so Virgil heads on out to go and stop himself Uh, I guess that's really how you could call it but before he can he gets caught up not only by the metahuman task force but legit everyone in the city sees him flying about and they're throwing trash at him telling him to get out get away there are people out there who are just telling him please don't hurt me don't hurt my baby and he's just professing that like he's innocent he's never gonna do that so unfortunately this leads into a confrontation with the metahuman task force as despite being non-lethal i feel like shooting grenade launchers at static is kind of lethal yeah yeah guys i don't i don't think you know how this non-lethal thing works quite yet which i mean might be some commentary in itself but um (laughs) 
Yeah, they are between their their grenades and all the eggs that people were throwing. You know, you really have to feel bad for Static. He's really cornered. So at this point, the only way he can get away is by diving into the sewer. And I'm going to say this right here. 10 out of 10 dive. Oh, yes. Batman would be so proud of the way Mm -hmm. Virgil fell into that manhole and then magnetized it so that he couldn't get it off. Uh, Batman, like, this is who you should... Sorry, Robin. No offense. (laughs) But the things Batman got to deal with, I, I I think he wants to take the static. Uh, yes. just an idea agreed it just it just looks so cool it was falling with style like it was perfect oh, yes so as static is trying to make his way away you know now he realizes that he can't really go anywhere he can't travel outside in the city so he's traveling through the sewers but he also doesn't want to go home quite yet we see that johnny morrow has upgraded himself he's moved on up to the deluxe apartment in the sky in some way shape or form probably just stole it as he has all of his clones there including the static clone as in a shocking move i was actually really surprised to see he just decides to unmask static right in front of him and that's when we get revealed that this is definitely a static clone because as the domino mask that he's wearing comes off his face it's replaced by a ironically staticky kind of tv look where the mask will fall i love that i love that detail where he can't reveal what's underneath the mask Mm -hmm. and that there's that improper part to his cloning powers i do like i do like that a lot especially on shows like the flash where his identity is constantly revealed i I do (laughs) like that it wasn't that easy and despite not knowing who static is doesn't matter to johnny replay he decides i'm just gonna go and commit another crime and they they figure out that you know he's going to the studio that wronged him that's that's where he he wants to mess up a show. So they're recording some new comedy. <laughs> yeah, it's I had it was it was like a I don't know, it was kind of like a game show slash just like really badly named comedy series. So static, he is able to because apparently we also find out that um Johnny Marr's cloning powers are so well that he's able to create a shock box so teaming up with um with Richie Static is able to hear the conversation that Johnny Morrow has and that's how they were able to figure out to head on over to the TV studio and easily get to jump on Johnny Morrow and his gang of I, I don't know his like gang of himself and this leads into an all-out brawl the uh, if this doesn't make it into the shocking damage category, I don't know, because this is a TV studio that they just basically destroy. Yeah, you know, they do they do wreck this TV studio a lot. It was a it was a toss up because, you know, they're going to be able to write this off, I think. Oh, OK, you know, they, they have insurance <laughs> for this kind of thing. I, I just don't think Kids Corner, I'm t- the union jobs that Kids Corner <laughs> was going to generate I, I just think that you can't underest undervalue the uh <laughs> the, the economic loss but yeah they they absolutely wrecked the studio and during the fight i had to point this out replay johnny replay he gets hit by one of those stage lights and gets up no 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 my friends those <laughs> lights are heavy as hell if you get hit with one of those blunt on like he did you're probably dead damn Looks yeah. like he got canceled. Yeah, oh, yeah, that's because <laughs> he's a he's a kid still. So it's like, it, it, you're a kid getting hit by that. I don't know how he got up, 
but maybe with some meta stuff. But yeah, he shouldn't have been walking away out of walking after that one. So we wrap up here now. Richie is able to broadcast this fight and also Johnny getting hit by that TV lamp. As the cops now approach, they're there with the MetaHuman Task Force, including Chief Franz Bransdale. They're contemplating whether or not to go in, but they see now on the big screen TV outside that this fight is going down. This distracts Johnny long enough because he's realized it's like, holy crap, I'm on TV again, which is just his biggest wish for causing all this trouble. But he also realizes that now he's been caught on national television committing all of these crimes. As... Static is able to get the upper hand once again. He sends another wave of electricity to the ground. This takes out not only the Johnny clones, but also his own clone as the two, he, the static clone and Johnny collide, knocking out Johnny completely. And as Static is heading out, he's, you know, asking if his name is clear again. Is he in the good graces of the citizens of Dakota? And we get now that like, Bronzedale is going to probably be Static's version of Commissioner Gordon in some way because the two of them reconcile. And this is how our episode closed as Static and Richie are walking out of the TV studio contemplating whether or not to get some cheesesteaks. Yeah, you know, Dakota's famous cheesesteaks. Yeah, I was like, this is a random such a random thing to end the episode on yeah i'm like 90 percent sure whoever wrote that line was just hungry and just had a craving for cheesesteaks i think so all right so that was our episode of replay and now we're jumping into tantrum episode after 13. sorry after we get cheesesteaks we're gonna jump oh yeah yeah we, we're gonna take okay. a quick cheesesteak break um yeah so now that we're about to start tantrum, it was a really quick cheesesteak. Yeah, we're right back. <laughs> we did some at creative cutting, so we already ate them. <laughs> you know, New York's classic, well-known cheesesteaks. It just it works. We talked about the Fresh Prince, and now we're talking about cheesesteaks. It's all full circle, y'all. Just I'm painting a circle around and around. You can't see this, but I'm doing it. <laughs> so our next episode with tantrum, we opened up to a pretty uh, serene kind of park as we realize now that it's Virgil dressed in a suit. He's at a grave site with one rose and he's placing it on the grave of his mother. And this was, this was shocking. I think this was like probably the second time or so that we've kind of introduced her character in this season. If I'm not mistaken. I think so. I think they, they allude to her a few times, but this is definitely the most notable time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we kind of now see that Virgil is talking with his mother here. It's clear he's also told her that he is static. He's talking about his adventures, his journeys. And it's now seeming like this is going to be more of a, a letter to his mother in a way. Because Virgil starts to recount the story of how he went to the carnival recently with his um, with his classmates. They had a school trip to the carnival, which is a weird place to go. I feel like I, I don't think there's much educational things can happen there at the carnival. Not not at all. Yeah, this is a uh, yeah. They the, the the good framing at the beginning of this is that he said Virgil says he hasn't come to his mother's grave in a while, and he wanted to explain why through the story. Uh, of his recent adventures of why he hasn't been there and yeah then we transition into this carnival which is probably the greatest carnival that has ever existed (laughs) they have 
volcano rides, mm-hmm. huge rock'em sock'em robots, and like all the standard boops at tram. What carnival are you going to? I want to come. Yeah, I don't know where this is happening, and I agree. We need to get some invites to this. I don't care if we have to tag along a school trip because this was this looks so much fun. I'll chaperone. I have no problem with it. So Virgil, Richie, and Daisy are hanging out. They see that the three of them are talking. And speaking of chaperones, we see that Daisy's mom pops up. And she's also a chaperone for the trip. So she decides to take Daisy away because she wants some time for the two of them to hang out. And we kind of see that Virgil's a little, looking a little sad here, I feel. And it's clear that maybe there's, he kind of wanted her to hang around because even as Daisy and her mom are leaving, Daisy's mom looks over at Daisy and says, like, oh, you were right. That Virgil really is cute. So now we got it confirmed. We got some love brewing between the two of them. So Virgil and Richie, I guess Richie recognizing that his boy is feeling a little down, decides to take him on over to a place where there's just a shit ton of pies or at least like something just with whipped cream everywhere. Yeah, you can just pie fights. At a carnival, like yeah, agree. We need to head on over to this carnival, or if it's not in existence, we need to bring it back. Please let that be this week's petition. Yes, petition to bring this specific carnival to real life. And as they're walking through, we have confirmed now that this is a school trip because we have we're introduced to Thomas Kim, a very studious kid who is taking notes in this pie fight and seeing everyone having fun um richie and virgil comment and was just like yo you're legit taking notes on the school trip we're not gonna have a homework on the trajectory of how to accurately throw a piece of pie at someone's face i mean it is a good math problem but it is though unlikely <laughs> and he is but he's still very determined to stay studious we cut over to who can only be described as the worst technician in the world yes (laughs) this guy is in the control center of the tram and he's like i'm just gonna cut this wire and that should do it and it it doesn't do it it sends a tram of people careening towards their doom who the hell hired this guy fire him immediately And the part that i was most shocked about he knew he cut the wrong wire immediately But he had enough time to stop, look at what he was doing. He was just like, nope, cut the wire. We're going to send people to death. And he made no attempt to fix it either. This guy (laughs) is the supervillain of the episode. I don't care what happens later. This is the supervillain. Yes. (laughs) So as everyone's screaming for their lives in this um, runaway tram, Virgil and Richie, they're heading out. They're trying to clean up after this whole pie fight as uh, Richie sees the tram and he's like immediately recognizes that, hold on, this tram is running too fast. This is a transportation tram. It's only supposed to take you from one stop of the park to the next stop. It's going way too fast. Virgil, I need you to activate static mode and head on out. This is exactly how much like energy was being put out from Richie in this one scene. That's how I felt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just like, just do it, bro. Like, come on, let's let's get it. You, I can't fly around. You got to do it. Right. And I, I like, one thing I really like in this train sequence is that Virgil tries to first try to lift a train, which is a nice callback to when you try to lift a boat and it didn't work. Mm-hmm. But since it's fiberglass, he can't 
use magnetism and static to lift it. So I do like that he can't even pry the door open. He has to find another solution. And the solution is pretty cool. Yeah, so he uses, and I forget the technical term of it, but he does explain in the episode. So once again, parents, let your kids watch cartoons. As he explains that he was able to take the loose pieces that they were using to build the rest of the tramway because it was still in construction. He was able to use magnetism on one piece and that just like how a paperclip would magnetize the other pieces to it. So he was able to get it from falling into the water, but more travel on the ground through a a fence and stopping right before it hit the Ferris wheel, I believe it was. Yeah, I think I think it was. And after freeing these passengers, he's like, finally, the door opens. <laughs> he gets a very specific compliment where <laughs> one of the people he rescued goes, your mom would be so proud. And I, I knew I know what we were doing here. But I was like, really? Would you would you say that after you, the runaway tram right. like almost kills you? You're going to tell Batman your mom would be so. Oh, 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 oh no. Oh. Like, he wouldn't do that. <laughs> Come on. I was like. That that was the only line I was like, that's a little little specific, guys. <laughs> yeah, so Static is now depressed, so he changes back into his um, street clothes. He's heading on home, and his emotional state isn't helped because as soon as he gets home, he trips over a box of old VHS tapes. And these are home videos of his mom, which his dad and his sister are now watching because they are prepping for a memorial service for his mom at this point i do like the fact that virgil's been narrating a little bit on and off through this because he's sharing his anger and his frustration about his mother's his mother's passing and that's what forces him to go out on patrol because as he's like in his room he still hears the the tape playing and he's just like i don't want to be here experiencing this pain and anger that i feel about my mom so he heads on out and while he's flying around he sees a restaurant being attacked by the only way i can describe this is hulk with orange hair and also he's entirely been dipped in grape juice kind of like that kid in willy wonka yeah oh yeah yeah a little bit of a like a violet hulk i like Mm -hmm. it i violet hulk yeah we're gonna run with that yeah violet hulk is out here and virgil is trying to again he's being more responsible trying to minimize the damage by luring him out uh the problem is that Violet Hulk is pretty jacked, as you might Hell expect. Yeah. And Virgil just can't be can't seem to damage him at all. Anything he tries to toss at him just isn't working. So he's just trying to stay alive in this battle, basically. And he ends up getting thrown into an elevator. <laughs> and I guess static cling is keeping him to the elevator side of the elevator, but yeah, <laughs> man, that sucks. It's a crushing loss, especially because we usually we used to at this point seeing him beat opponents pretty easily. But here it's there was not even close. Like static had no shot. Yeah, definitely not. And you know, it's some sometimes some people want to keep that bad of a loss themselves, but Virgil decides to tell Richie about the fight as they're in class talking about this. So Virgil's quickly interrupted by his teacher who tells them that she's handing back some essays and she mentions, I just want to say this really quick, she mentions that some people did really, really good and then there were others. This happened. <laughs> Like this moment was so real because this happened to me. I was in a class, <laughs> a college class where the professor was like, everybody 
did well on this test. Everybody got above 80, except one of you, you know, so oh don't worry God. about it. And I turn over and it's like, it's me. I, I didn't do <laughs> I was the one. That's not good reinforcement, teachers, all right? You don't have to call us out like that. We can figure it out ourselves. Don't be okay, man. Don't be okay. <laughs> they can't hurt you anymore. Nope. I, st- I passed. I got an A in that class. I don't know how that happened. But, <laughs> but speaking uh, of un- imperfect scores. <laughs> yes, yes. Because we see that Virgil gets a 95. Richie, we don't know. But he was. He mentioned that he was one of the others. And then we see Thomas Kim is back as he's very upset with his very, very low score of a 99 out of 100. Practically uh, practically a 60, you know? Um, yeah. But he definitely feels like he was wrong. He calls out the teacher, and the teacher says, well, you didn't put the apostrophe in the right place for it. You added it unnecessarily. So I took off that 99, which I'm, I'm going to be on Thomas's side for this one. Because if yeah, that was um... literally the only mistake in the paper, <laughs> you could have circled it red and been like, yo, next time use the it and given him the hundred. You did not have, like in real life, it is not that serious. It's, it's not. It really isn't. And Thomas is hurt by all this. Like he's asking his teacher, what about his like overall GPA? What are his parents going to say? Because, you know, it's, it's clear that like, he if he brings home a 99 it seems it could just be one of those cases where it's like if it's not an a it's a failure so this visibly angers him as everybody else around him starts laughing because they're all like yo we didn't even touch anywhere probably in the 90s yet you're upset over getting just one one point off from a perfect score like chill bro which so now we jump over to after school the teacher is headed to her car and then we see that our violet hulk is back he is now yelling at her saying bad grade bad mistake something like that and virgil is studying in the library so you know this is he doesn't get any extra credit points for this but here's the commotion heads on out turns into static and is able to swoop in and save his teacher before she smashed from our Violet Hulk, picking up her car and throwing it at her. Yeah, and it's, again, Virgil is just not doing well against this guy. He can't really hurt the Hulk at all in any significant ways. And he ends up uh, very sore and bruised from the encounter. And if the physical injuries weren't enough, his bruises had bruises, as he said, he comes home and his sister is just going off on him because he isn't ready for the memorial like the way she wanted him to be yeah and this is such a big moment i think within their dynamic and just seeing how virgil is like we we've gone on this journey with him we've seen how he interacts with his sisters mostly a joking kind of thing sometimes the jokes go too far we've seen he has seen him angry or at least just frustrated with um how everything that dealt with between with him and Richie and a couple other people. But this is the first time we actually see Virgil throw this tantrum. And um, this is one of the reasons why this episode was called tantrum. So he, as Sharon is telling him that like, yo, I really need you to work on this speech, which also I just want to point out was a 10 minute long speech at the memorial service. That's that's a long time. <laughs> that's a very long time. She's insisting that he needs to get off his butt and start working on it. And he's just like, no, I don't want to do this. No one's ever asked me about anything. I didn't even want to speak. I didn't want to be any part of any of this. So 
he ends up storming out of the house leading up to a scene to the to the roof the roof that we saw um back where Virgil and Robert first spoke to each other about um the lack of trust that they had between each other uh, at this time Virgil's up there as Robert comes in to offer a a hand and a shoulder and just a hug really yeah there's so so much great dialogue here like Robert saying you know, I understand for a while I couldn't say her name without causing pain to myself. So you can see that. And Robert really acknowledges that. Yeah, I don't I didn't really check in with you and make sure you were doing OK. I thought you had moved on to our level of grief where we're just kind of wanting to honor her memory. And it's not like we're going through the motions, but we have just gotten to a different level of acceptance. And I think such a great it's such a great lesson because I, I think. We've all been there, you know, at a memorial or when it's the anniversary of a particularly hard hitting loss and we're just trying to process and everyone can be at different levels. And I, I really, all, all Robert and Virgil's conversations, whenever they get together, you know, you're going to cry or get emotional. It's just like when, when Joe West speaks on the flash, you, you know, you're about to cry in two right. seconds. So it's, it's, it, it was another nice moment, especially when you're talking about grief, something so heavy and that they check in and make sure they're okay. And after this lovely moment, Richie continues the job of doing the police work for them um, because <laughs> he found Thomas's essay at the scene of Violet Hulk's crime. And I just want to reiterate here, fire the metahuman task force. That doesn't work. Hire this kid because mm-hmm. more police work than the actual police. Yo, word. He's just he needs a salary, a pension, whatever you can give this kid. And also creating everything for static. Come on. It's just Richie, you the you're, you're the go. You're the unsung hero of this series, man. So as Virgil and Richie are heading over to Thomas's house to kind of confront to see if Thomas truly is this creature, we get a scene where Thomas's dad is quizzing him on um, the First World War. And I know Hot Streak isn't present in this episode, but there was such a serious burn in this interaction <laughs> because as Thomas answers correctly about, you know, what caused the war and it being the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand, again, parents that your kids watch some some cartoons he his father asked him you know who was the shooter and thomas is unable to say that gravillo Princip was the shooter i had to look that up because i oh, yeah. did not i didn't know that i had to look at it because it was like i felt really bad about this next comment because as thomas questions about why does he need to answer that because it doesn't seem like something's gonna that's something that's gonna pop up on the test his father says and it's that kind of thinking that's the difference between a perfect score and a 99. Just saying you're not good enough, which, yeah. you know, um, I, I won't I won't attempt to speak for any because Thomas is Asian. I feel like it's worth mentioning and I won't speak for anyone. But I know it's in some experience in, in some Asian cultures that the pressure to do well academically can be overwhelming, you know, more so than, than many others. And I think this episode definitely puts that in a capsule and makes it because I, I absolutely no accident to John Cho is here voicing this yeah. episode. You know, they really wanted to bring attention to something that I don't think was ever really talked about at that time. I think at that time, it was still very stereotypical depictions of Asian characters where they were just these super geniuses 
and nothing else. You know, there were no layers or dimensions or exploration about why that cliche got started. And I think it's this is very bold of the episode to dive into that and to bring it up as an issue. And I I think that was really, really smart of them to do in the way they did it. Agreed, especially because they do offer another point of view on it with Thomas's mom, who upon letting Virgil and letting Thomas and his dad know that Virgil and Richie are present. Virgil tells them that like, Hey, we're just here to hang out, you know, have some fun. And despite Thomas's dad jumping in and saying, you know, hang out fun. He doesn't kind of have time for that. His mom is really pushing to just say that like, no, let him hang out with his friends. Let him be a kid because it, you know, he's still a teenager. So I'm really glad that in the same moment in which they're highlighting or really kind of putting forward that like this is possibly something that's happening in these homes. They're also putting dialogue and and just actions to show that like these are ways that you can help alleviate the pressure that that some of these kids are probably experiencing, especially during that time. Yeah. And it, it does lead to another great scene where what a Virgil's powers is his kindness. You know, he really does try to solve situations non-violently if he can. Mm-hmm. So he's really just trying to diffuse the situation now that he suspects Thomas might be Violet Hulk. And they try to, they show him the evidence. They try to confront him and figure out what's going on. But Thomas claims he has no knowledge of anything they're talking about with metahuman powers. He denies everything and just kicks them out immediately. So for a minute, it looks like they could be back in square one. Maybe they were let off the path. So they go back and chill at Static's home where Rishi brings up another video. Yeah, Virgil is heading out from the kitchen, commenting over the fact that he definitely knows that Thomas is tantrum. And as he sees the screen, he sees a video of himself as a baby. He's throwing his own tantrum here he's banging on his toys he's crying he's just causing all kinds of a ruckus and we see little sharon here in the video telling her mom it's like yo you need to punish him because he's acting up he's crying like crazy he's being very disrespectful and now we jump to the first time ever we see an image of virgil's mom gene hawkins she is just standing there. She's just looking at Virgil. She's not saying anything. She just has a smile on her face. He doesn't, that's it. And we cut back now to baby Virgil and we see that he's, at this point, the the anger that he has is just like dissipating in its own way. And he starts calming down. And once he's fully calmed down, his mother reaches down and picks him up. And then we see that little Sharon once again asks, it's like, why isn't he getting punished? Like, why didn't you do it? He's acting crazy. So in that moment, Gene Hawkins shares that sometimes a tantrum is just that. It's just a tantrum. It could be something that can be addressed and solved. But in some cases, it could be that he just needs the time to let him feel what he feels and let that be the moment that he needs to calm down. And it's such a touching moment because, again, we've never really seen or heard from Virgil's mom, but we kind of get a sense that he truly came from a very loving home uh, between just like the way his dad talks with him and now seeing this moment. And it's something that 
not addressed with any kind of score music. It's not addressed with any kind of sounds or any other interactions. It just happens. And then we conclude with Richie watching this as Virgil's looking on, just sitting there in silence. And he looks to his friend and says, I can understand now why you didn't want to watch this video. She truly did have a big impact in your life. And I'm sorry that she's gone. So it's really great to kind of see this moment again, just Virgil having a moment to see his own anger kind of being put forward in this video as him as a baby. And then knowing that regardless of in that moment, his mother was there and he, I guess, in a sense, feels that once again, his mother is still with him and that he knows that what he's feeling is natural and that just like his mother said, it will go away with time. Yeah. I, I, all of that is so important. And again, you know, they're, they're laying down lessons, just life lessons in these episodes, mm-hmm. not just relevant to the episode. And again, I can always appreciate when they go above and beyond there. And now that we've had this very emotional moment, it's time to get back to the destruction because Violet Hulk <laughs> destroys Virgil's front door. <sighs> Jesus, again? Right? Like, I feel so bad for Robert, who's probably, his premium prices is just, like, through the roof. Like, it has to be. Yeah, yeah like, they're just like, all right, uh, Robert, look, we're going to, you're a good guy. We're going to give you a discount on the door. At least your porch is mostly intact this time. But <laughs> damn, that door was blasted to smithereens. He probably and... has a deal going on. Like, you know, like, break three doors, get one free or something. I hope he does, because <laughs> this door is looking like that gym a couple episodes ago. <laughs> Just wrecked. That would never... <laughs> that We were right. It never recovered, because they had to get a whole new gym. Yeah. <laughs> so they... Static again tries to fight Violet Hulk, but it's not going many, many places. And in a shocking, shocking surprise, this, the shocking scene of destruction is very minimal. You know, the, he does take Violet Hulk to some construction and Violet Hulk is smashing things, working out his anger. But again, he's destroying construction materials. So now we're extending union jobs. Because they're going to need to bring in more materials. It's going to take more days to finish. And it's not going to be held on the union workers account. So he, he's actually helping here. I think he's learning some lessons. I think he's listening to me. And yeah, minimal destruction here. I'm very impressed. But the important part is that after the Violet Hulk smashes a few things, calms down and reverts back to Thomas. Yes. And now we have Virgil is... In his own way, just having that, continuing that conversation with his mom tells him that, tell, tells her that what she taught him, he's really taken to heart. You know, that one moment in that video helped to save his life and the city. So he concludes the story really by thanking her for, for being a part of his life and for everything that she's done. And that leads him to head on over to the memorial service. We see now there's like a full on scene of every single person that is connected to Virgil in some way we see his dad his sister Richie uh, Richie's parents which I was really shocked to see that his dad had popped up in there I was gonna say the same thing it was it's again you know it's not a show that really you don't need continuity to Mm -hmm. really understand what's going on but it's those little moments where you see Richie's dad show up from all the other stuff we were talking about that is it's such attention to detail. I, I love I love that kind of thing. 
And Virgil is giving his speech. I'm guessing it did run for the full 10 minutes, or if it was the entire speech for this whole episode, it was made it almost 20. So Virgil thanks his mom for everything and heads down to be with his family as we close out with the choir. This uh, kind of having a Black church moment. I really appreciated this. Uh, they're singing a, a song about overcoming things and it kind of really tied into the emotions and the theme that we were experiencing with Virgil in this episode of just like he overcame his um his anger and his frustration and his sadness and now it's going to lead him onto a path where it's just like we don't know where it's going to take him next but we know it's going to be in a good place yeah and it's a great note to end and they they end the episode with a um they end the episode with a, a song a gospel song montage and with a couple scenes from the episode and i suppose this was done more to give the episode a, a finale kind of feel yeah. because it cuz it does work for the episode but i was also like this is this is so you can say it's a finale right <laughs> like it was yeah. a very very sobering finale and yeah it was a very sobering finale, and I will say my, again, we don't know the production stuff. Maybe this wasn't how it was originally intended to go, but in terms of a bringing full circle from where we start in episode one to now, this episode doesn't really <laughs> service that. Right. <laughs> it doesn't It doesn't feel like the circular journey. And like, I know we keep saying it, but two episodes ago, if that would have been the last episode of him, you know, without having confrontation with Alva, the chemicals going awry, that would have been a great, mm-hmm. a great full circle. But here, you know, we got what we got. And uh, what we have is a really emotional, well-written episode that pays homage to his mom and brings back the focus of Virgil and where he is in life and coping with grief. Yeah, agreed. So personally, I'll also say that this was probably my favorite episode of the two i will say it probably was a bit more confusing for me compared to to replay but i think that's only because the the stuff with tantrum just felt at times a little out of place like the whole purple hulk thing the violet hulk thing um everything dealing with thomas like if it wasn't for the moment of seeing the video of baby virgil being comforted by his mom i wouldn't be able to pick what was plot a and what was plot b out of this episode but i did i guess based off of a case of circumstance did prefer it over the um the replay episode yeah i, I do think that they kind of built backwards <laughs> from <laughs> the tantrum moment to get to how are we going to calm the violet hulk down so yeah i do think it is definitely because of the superior emotional stakes and everything i do think it all around is a is a better episode of the two, but not not really by much because I think both the episodes are pretty solid and I think Replay has a lot of great qualities to it too. Mm-hmm. So I, I think these are both uh, pretty, pretty, pretty great. And we, we both really agree that they're better than the Amoeba episode with, oh, yeah. when the one Jeez. percent of germs had its day. <laughs> I'm telling you, man, this whole could have been solved if Static just had... Richie, get on it. Make some, I don't know, some Lysol zap caps or something like just <laughs> do it for us <laughs> uh so yeah that was our two episodes you know with replay i think that was just really more of a fun episode like you have an opportunity to have neil patrick harris play a evil version of himself in a way i guess 
and also a little bit expand on the universe with the inclusion of the Meta Task Force. So there wasn't really much um, comic book connection that we could find there. I think it's a tale as old as time when it comes to MetaHuman Task Force in the DC universe. Like Andrew mentioned, you know, they start off to be very stern and then turn into something happens where they have to, there's a sign of corruption and then it turns into a very mellowed out thing where it's just like they may, might as well be non-existent. Um, so that's something that does pop up in a couple of static comics and especially just a lot in the DC universe. We see it in com- very common storytelling dealing with either um, police to vigilante relations, you know, even Batman is included in his own way. But the comic thing that I really wanted to address was um, the story of Gene Hawkins. Um, you know, this is a character who since the creation of Static, has probably just been as iconic as the Static character. We, and by which I mean the television series, not actually the the comic itself, Um, mainly because whenever you think of Static, you know automatically, remember this story of that Static's mom died. Um, We don't, we don't know how until much later episodes in the series in which it does get revealed, which we're not going to say now because it's a very pinnacle episode, I think, in the entire series. Mm-hmm. But um, as I mentioned in our very first episode of talking about this series as a whole, Static's mom is alive and well in almost pretty much every single iteration of a Static Shot comic. And it's a surprising thing to see because... The decision to kill her actually came from when they were first putting the show together and they wanted to do something to, I guess, kind of like spice it up a little bit. But more importantly, the intention was to create a focus on a strong and complex relationship between a father and and his son who are african-american and i will say that we kind of see that a lot like we see the you see that with the conversations between um robert and virgil just in this first season alone which is probably most likely really going to grow as the season progress the series progresses but this was actually something that the co-creator of static shock Dwayne mcduffie was a little bit concerned about and in fact didn't even want to have happen he really wanted to create a story and show a story of a Black family with a very nuclear dynamic. Like, it's very hard at times to find a story in which a Black mother or a Black father, um, you know, has both survived and are present in the child's lives, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, even in, you know, really great writing, like with Black Lightning, we have to deal with just the divorce between the two, the separation between the two, like there is a lot of additional storytelling that went along there. But um, yeah. McDuffie decided to go along with it because it actually gave an opportunity to um, create some brand new stories out of it. So Andrew, I guess this is my question for you as a writer and someone who's also a static fan and just also a, a nerd of color yourself, like how do you feel about that particular change? Well, the thing I noticed right away is this is a classic writing technique. I'm gonna I'm gonna ruin a lot of movies for you guys out right now. <laughs> oh damn. So you know how you watch a Disney movie, a parent is dead. You know how mm-hmm. that happens a lot. That's a specific reason. The reason being when a parent is dead, it's believable why the kid can go on an adventure. Because if one parent is busy, then 
you can, you're not wondering why didn't mom step in and watch the kid the night or wonder what, what the hell is going on. It's so that you take out one parent and then everything else is easy. Beauty and the Beast, the plot happens because Belle has to go and save her father by herself. Little Mermaid happens because there's no mom to hold Ariel back from signing contracts with devil women. Tangled, <laughs> she has no parents. Princess and the Frog, bad financial situation because she has one parent. Like You could do this with pretty much every Disney movie, and that explains why they get away with the stuff they get away with. It's just easier <laughs> to do when you just have to take out one parent. And when two parents are around, it's much harder to find justifications for why the kids can run around freely. So that Holy being shit. said, <laughs> damn, that makes yep. sense. Yep. And movies where they don't do it, they really have to like bend over backwards. Like, you know, in The Incredibles, they don't kill off Mr. Incredible, but they remove him from the equation, making things easier for the kids to glomp on later. In the sequel, Elastigirl is removed from the equation for a bit so that the kids can run around and cause trouble. And when they don't do it, like in Brave, where they have two intact family members, they have to come up with some ridiculous thing where the mom's a bear. Spoilers, if you haven't seen Brave yet, for some reason. And (laughs) that makes it easier for the story to happen. Damn. Um, All right, so I'm just going to go through my entire (laughs) catalog and start throwing some things out. (laughs) Yeah, that... All that to say, besides the practical reason they do that, um, I do think I what I like about this this change of having the mother being died having died before the events of the series proper. I like it not being connected to gang violence or anything that I that the death isn't like correlated to that. I like that that it isn't the father missing because that is a stereotype. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That is so enduring in media and it just it's it's so annoying at this point if it's not a good explanation for why a black father is missing. So I do do like what they did with it. It would have been. Yeah, it would definitely would have been interesting to see if they could have removed her from the equation, like, like having her being travel a lot. I will toot my own horn for a second and say I wrote a static pilot and to preserve the dynamic, I have his mother on constant trips and vacations and like for work Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't interfere with the dynamic, but at the same time we don't lose her completely. But I do agree that no matter how you get there, it does make sense for static to have one parent in this context given the amount of things he has to do in this show. So for this medium, I respect the decision they made for all the reasons they made it. But it is definitely interesting to note that there is a version of this that works with both parents. Yeah, and that's really cool to hear, especially the static pilot, which at some point I'm going to have to read. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but also this is uh, something that has been changing throughout time so when we get first introduced to static in his 1993 comic run they did kind of go that typical route that um you know static's dad is out doing work we don't really see him as much but you know he's present he's there and his mom is the one that's kind of more running the show she's having that dynamic and that relationship that we're seeing that the producers were probably trying to put forward um and then I guess now they've been kind of shifting it to um, 
to try to be really serious about creating this complete nuclear family of now we see that Static's dad is there. He is um, alongside his mother all the time. And the two of them have a very great relationship. Like right now in the Static rebooted series that they created, Static season one, but with the return of Milestone Media, both of them are present. And spoilers for anybody who hasn't read it, they all both know that Virgil is Static. So it's in it, by you saying that, like, you know, that kind of way of thinking about how they can play around with it, it is really cool to introduce this new concept that, you know, both of them know that their kid is out there saving lives. And it's not only them, but um, their whole neighborhood, their whole neighborhood knows that they're that stat Virgil is static and they're keeping his secret identity. They're protecting him when um, law enforcement tries to come through and steals him away. So it's really cool to see that not only do we have a moment where Virgil now has a support system by having a maternal figure in his life, but also is extended to a creation of his own village. Um, but Gene Hawkins, I really am glad that they, you know, we lost her in the TV series, but I'm really glad that they've been really intentional of including her in future productions and current productions of Static. I don't know if that's the route that they're planning on going with during the um the the plan stages of the upcoming movie as well as the um the upcoming animated film that they're also trying to create but it's really just great to see that Gene Hawkins is present in his life um and to have still have that kind of storytelling of her presence even in the animated series that came out in 2000 yeah i would think that given I would say given what they've done with Miles Morales mm-hmm. and Spider-Verse, I think now they're going to lean more towards the, the both family unit because notice what both of Miles' parents do in the Spider-Verse. One is a cop, mm-hmm. one is a nurse or doctor. They never clarified she could be either or, but don't what do both jobs require? Overnight shifts where they might not always be around. Oh, yeah. yeah. And that's something that they can't do because in the comics, Gene Hawkins is a paramedic and a very smart one. In fact, she was in the newer run. She was the one that um, was fighting for have Virgil get tested because she wanted to ensure that nothing was going to happen to her kid after, you know, kind of seeing him shoot lightning out of his hands. <laughs> that's fair. That's, yeah. that's fair to just check, you know, make sure the reflexes are still there. Yeah, so... That that's Gene Hawkins um, and the impact that she's had on Virgil's life. Um, but with that, that also means that we've wrapped up our season one of the Static Shock series. Like there's definitely some more comics that kind of take his story on to the next step. Like this season in particular helped open up the four part mini issue series of Static Rebirth of Cool because it really helped to bring back to life the character. Um, so definitely check that out as my part of today's recommended reading, um, because it does continue on the stories of Virgil in his own way, but told through a different, um, rebooted kind of sense. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited that like, we just kind of wrapped up season one of static here. We got to dive into a lot of characters and, um, open the door for a lot of things that are coming up next for just him in general. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been fun just it, it's been it's been a fun start to our season two to 
to cover season one and just revisit something that is still so, so good, so relevant and has a ton, ton more depth than, Mm -hmm. you know, everyone always going on about Batman in the animated series. Rightfully so. I'm not throwing any right. shade there. Uh, <laughs> don't we come are at another DC animated podcast. We love we love the series. I'm gonna yeah. <laughs> we love we love that. We love Batman Beyond, Superman the animated series. That's just the unlimited. We get it. You like Batman, <laughs> but <laughs> it is nice to have a series where the focus, the main focus, is not fully on Batman. That will come later, but. <laughs> um, it, it is it's nice to have this kind of shake up and see a different universe and a different different corner of the DC universe that we don't usually get to see for various reasons that we're, we still haven't seen nearly enough of. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we, we just want to. Well, until we get that cyborg animated series, I'm there's no need to joke about that because that's never going to happen. Uh, <laughs> This this will hold us over, and we're looking forward to now that we've kind of wrapped up the first season. We still got more holiday themed content coming your way, like a yeah. little, little little gift for the season. <laughs> yes, we are very excited. I'm very excited. I I, I mean, I think we're all of us very excited. The holiday season is definitely coming up, and um you know we we have some big plans here's hoping that you know no one takes us away from those big plans um as we got two holiday movies we're thinking about covering yes there were some dc holiday movies so (laughs) and uh next week as well we're going to be doing another bonus episode uh very excited about this one um because our next episode we're going to be speaking with an actual voice over actress yeah, so I'm very excited to to just speak. We're just very excited to be speaking with her and to hear about the journey of what it happens to become a voice actor in this world. And especially kind of like the commitment and dedication that it takes to just create stories like the ones that we just love and adore ourselves. Yeah, because it's it's so much like all these voices that define our childhood. How do they do? It? How do they mm-hmm. get up every day? How do they, what's the process? how do they get there? Like, how do you go from, watching cartoons to being the voice of batman i don't know i don't we had an interview kevin conroy but we did interview someone fantastic and we're very excited to get that out there and uh, share that with you yep so until then just keep an eye out for who who it is because we got that and many more to come then until then take care of yourselves and always remember that gravillo principe was the person who assassinated the Austria-Hungary Archduke Franz Ferdinand leading to World War I back in the 1900, early 1900s. And if you're going to a ridiculously fun carnival and you see a guy with wire cutters who's saying, oh, let me try this, get off that tram immediately. That is a safety <laughs> PSA. <laughs> <laughs>